surrounding the deaths of Halpin Sterling and Philando Castile. Uh, the protests, and the terrible shootings in Dallas, and other officers being fired at. These are difficult times. We see anger and hatred and rage. We see seething anger all over as we, as we see the reports from, from these protests. The truth is, anger and hatred, rage, we all know they're very powerful emotions. And they can lead to all sorts of actions and words. They can lead to things that can't be taken back as we've seen. And so this morning we're going to look at what God's word has to say about anger as we continue our journey through the Sermon on the Mount. We'll be in Matthew 5.21. God's word has much to say about hatred and anger and rage. Much to say. A word that we need in these days and these times. At this point in Jesus' ministry, he is north of the Sea of Galilee. He's teaching and crowds are gathered around him and he focuses particularly on his disciples and he begins to teach his disciples what it means to be his follower. If you want to come after me, in essence, this is what it looks like. This is what it means to be a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. Let's look together in Matthew 5, beginning in verse 21. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar... And there remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going with him to court lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. We see in this text two ways that sinful anger is a serious matter. First, sinful anger is a serious matter because it reveals a murderous heart. Sinful anger reveals a murderous heart. In verse 21, Jesus says, you've heard that it was said to those of old. Well, here Jesus is looking back into the history of God's people. And, and he takes them back to the scene where Moses was up on top of Mount Sinai and God gives his laws for, for his covenant people. And one of those was, was you shall not murder. And, and here Jesus references Exodus 20, verse 13. He says, that's what was said of old. That's what was given in the Ten Commandments. And that whoever does murder is going to face judgment. And here in Genesis 9, 6, we read, Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed, for God made man in his own image. So what do we see here? Jesus looks back and he says, You know the scriptures say, do not murder, and those who do murder 
are going to face judgment. What was the judgment in, in Old Testament Israel? If you murdered someone, purposely took the life of someone, the penalty was capital punishment. The reason is this. It's given in Genesis 9-6 because every person is made in the image of God. It tells us that every life matters. That, that's what the, the testimony of Scripture is. That every life does matter. Why? Because every person is made in the very image of God. And to take a life that was made in the image of God is to commit such a grievous sin from an Old Testament perspective that capital punishment was required. Because of the respect for human life. You take human life, you lose your life. That's that's what was going on. And Jesus said, you've heard that if you murder, you're going to face judgment. But I say to you, and here Jesus is helping the people understand that we're not focused on simply observing the the externals of the law, like I'm not going to commit murder. But here Jesus helps us understand that the law really points back to, to realities of the heart. That there's something bigger than just murder, like I don't murder people, so I'm good. Jesus says that's not it at all. You need to understand that what's going on in your heart is what really matters. And consistently, as we look at what Jesus is going to have to say about the Old Testament law, and we will for the next several weeks, we're going to see that Jesus is always trying to get people to look on the inside. Because it's always ultimately about an issue of the heart and our following God. It's an issue of the heart. So he says, I say to you, it's not just murder, but if you're angry with your brother, you're going to face judgment. If you're angry with your brother, now now that's something that's going on inside of the mind. That's something that a human court can't adjudicate, right? Because a human court can't know what's going on inside of our hearts and minds. So Jesus is saying, what's going on in your heart within? Well, if that's an attitude of anger, and ultimately we should say sinful anger, And Jesus says, here, you're going to face judgment for that. You're going to stand before God. You're going to stand before God, and you're going to face judgment. He goes on to say that if you insult your brother, and and the word here in the Greek text is rock. It was an Aramaic word, that uh, a a borrowed word, if you will, and it meant empty-headed, one who, who was foolish or dumb. You're making a statement about someone's intelligence. It's way down here. And so he says, if you, if you say to someone, raka, then you're going to face the council. And probably here he's referring to the Sanhedrin. That is the supreme court of, of uh, the Israelite people. Goes on to say, if you call someone a fool, and the Greek word here is moros, and you can, you can get the, the English uh, uh, word that it came from that. So he says, if you call someone a fool, you're going to face the very fires of hell. Now, it's not that he's trying to differentiate and say, if you say raka, then the penalty is this, or if you have anger in your heart, the penalty is this. What he's saying is he's painting a, a big picture and saying, if in your heart you have sinful anger toward people, and, and that is coming out by the words that you use, understand that your heart is marked by murderous intent. And ultimately, as we'll see in a moment, you're going to face judgment for that. Now, we know in the Old Testament, it wasn't just murder that was condemned. Anger was condemned or hatred was condemned as well. Leviticus 19, 17, and 18 says this, You shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So here Jesus 
is saying to the Pharisees and to the Jews who thought as long as I follow the externals of the law, I'm good. He's saying, no, it's far more than that. It's far more than that. Now, is it possible to be angry and not to be sinful. It is possible to, to have anger and yet not sin. We see this in the life of Jesus. In Matthew 21, beginning in, in verse 12, we see Jesus angered at those who were perverting temple worship. And his anger was made clear. In Matthew 23, verse 17, Jesus calls the Pharisees blind fools because they could never get that a true relationship with God was something about the heart. All they could do was focus on outside behavior. And he calls them the very word that, that we see in this passage, fool. Calls them blind fools. So it's possible to have a righteous anger. An anger that, that is righteous because it's consistent with what angers God. Now, I want to be really clear on this. Because sin has a way of tricking us, all of us are prone to sort of having our eyes covered by our own sin, sort of glazed over by our own uh, wickedness. And, and what we do is we sort of kind of let sin go in our lives, and before long, we don't even think it's that bad. It's not that big of a deal. It's really their problem, not my problem. And we begin to be blinded by our sin. And, and so here we need to be really careful as we talk about a type of anger that is righteous. It's a very narrow category. It's a very narrow category. Those things that anger God. Well, when we have anger, it may well be righteous anger when it's consistent with those things that anger God. For example, if we see or hear of a child being abused and we feel an anger, that very well could be a righteous anger so long as we don't allow it to turn into sin where we see the holiness or the, the, the greatness of God mocked and we feel a certain anger because of that, it may well be that that's a righteous anger. But most of our anger, we know, is not really righteous anger. Most of our anger is about, it's about what I want. It's about my personal preferences and desires and opinions. It's about me wanting everyone else to bow down and let me be king. Isn't that what most of our anger is about, truly? Now, we want to find ways to, to decorate it. We want to put some makeup on it and try to make it look something different than that. But at the heart of it, isn't almost all of our anger about ourselves and about wanting everyone else to play by our rules and to do things our way? Well, that's the reality of it. Um, a good example, it's a bad example truly, but, but it's an example of this kind of selfish anger. Uh, a few weeks ago, we were in San Antonio driving. And my, uh, my wife was driving. She gets motion sickness, and so most of the time she wants to drive. I think it's because she doesn't like my driving, but she, she, she uses motion sickness. So I was, I was in the passenger seat, and we were about to miss a turn that we needed to make. And there was a car that just wouldn't let us in. I was sitting in the passenger seat, and I just hit the window, and I said, thank you, thank you. And it wasn't my best moment. And Jennifer <laughs> kind, of, kind of looked at me, and I and, uh, was like, honey, okay, I give. So I, I knew what I'd said, done, wasn't right. But isn't that an example of the kind of sinful anger that we see here? Why was I mad? Was it a righteous reason? No, it was because I wanted her to get out of our way so we could get where we needed to go. And it was all about me. It's all about what I wanted. And the truth is, 
That's the reality most of the time. Now, to make this story worse, about an hour or so later, Kate, <laughs> Kate said, and I didn't really hear what she was saying, something about the car, and, and Jennifer said, honey, are you listening to our daughter? And I said, no. Kate, what did you say? Daddy, what did that car, when you tapped on the window and said, what, what did they do for us? <laughs> well... You know, the Lord always has a way of bringing things back till we get them right. And I said, baby, daddy was just sinful. That's all it was. They didn't do anything. They just, it was an opportunity for daddy to see that his heart's not right. The truth is, when our anger is about me and about what I want, it's sinful and wrong dishonors God. And it reveals something about our heart that is not right. So we've seen that anger is a serious matter because it reveals that we have a a heart problem, a heart problem in our relationship with God, something that we need to get right. It's not okay. A murderous heart. Second, sinful anger is a serious matter because it has eternal consequence. It has eternal consequence. Look, Jesus says, when you commit murder, you remember what was was the, uh, the penalty for that in the Old Testament? It was capital punishment. And he he goes on to say, when you have anger in your heart, you're going to face judgment. When you call someone raka, when you insult them, you're going to face the council. When you call someone fool, you're going to face the fires of hell. What is Jesus' point? That when our hearts and lives are marked by anger toward others, when our hearts and lives are marked by hatred toward others, the reality is this, there's a good possibility that our hearts haven't been changed by Jesus. There's a good chance that if we live lifestyles of anger and demanding our way and what we want, there's a good chance we really don't know the Lord. 1 John 3.15 says, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. What are the scriptures telling us? That if an angry heart and an and a hatred toward others is the mood of our life. It's who we are most of the time. There's a good chance that the Lord does not rule our lives. In other words, that we do not know him. Now, it's possible that that we struggle with anger. But if you're a believer, you're struggling with it. When you're an unbeliever, you do what you want. So if your life is marked by anger all of the time, you should ask, do I really have a relationship with God? The Beatitudes often cause us to need to evaluate our lives and to ask if we really do know Jesus. And so, as we continue, Jesus gives a couple of examples to illustrate or to strengthen his point. In verse 23, he says, So if you're offering your gift at the altar and you remember that your brother has something against you, then leave your gift and go be reconciled to your brother. So remember, he's teaching up in Galilee. A person would come for temple worship in Jerusalem. This gift more than likely would be some sort of an animal for sacrifice. So Jesus is saying, you've made your way to Jerusalem. You're offering this sacrifice. And as you're about to offer the sacrifice, you remember, you know what? My brother, which means just a part of my community, brother, sister, etc., has something against me. Jesus says, leave the animal there at the temple. And you... You make your way back up to Galilee, which would have been uh, probably a a week and a half journey. 
around, depending on where Jesus was at, 80 miles. Leave him. Leave the animal there, and you go make things right with your brother. You go get things right with your brother, and then come back and worship me. So he gives this example, and he makes getting things right with other people critical if we're going to worship God and honor God with our lives. So it's a farce to come and to offer worship to God and then have our relationships with other people be really messed up. It's a farce. It's, 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 not, it's not reality. We can't worship God when we don't try to make things right with other people. Um, he gives another example in verse 25. He says, come to terms quickly with your accuser. Here before, he's talking about a brother, a person who's a part of, of your community, your family, who's close to you. But now he's talking about an adversary, someone who's taking you to court. He says, come to terms quickly. That is, try to work things out while you're on your way to court. Do everything you can to, to, to make things right. Because he says, it could be that you, that you appear before the judge and you get thrown in prison and you don't get out until you've paid every last penny. And these days... Often if you owe debt, a person could have you thrown in jail until the debt was completely paid. And that seems to be uh, what Jesus is picturing here. So he's saying, even your enemy, do your best to work things out and to do so hastily while you're on your way. Don't wait till afterwards. No, deal with it now. Deal with it now. We think about the shootings in Dallas and we think about the fact that five officers lost their lives. Families who will never be the same. Comrades who will struggle with the reality of that situation for the rest of their lives. The consequences of that kind of anger and hatred are great. But this passage tells us that the consequences of anger can be even greater. That the consequences of an angry heart filled with hate can in fact be the very fires of hell. That is to say that if our sins aren't dealt with, if our angry hearts aren't dealt with through Jesus, then the reality is going to be that someday we answer to God for our angry, sinful hearts and where our sin will be dealt with is either at the foot of the cross as we bow in submission to Jesus and we call out to him for forgiveness of our sins and put our faith in him. Our sins, our angry hearts will be dealt with there at the cross or they will be dealt with, scripture is clear, in the fires of hell. That's what this passage says clearly. The word for hell here is Gehenna. And it, it was in Jerusalem, uh, often the, the valley of Hinna was, or the Hinnom Valley, was a place where Moloch was worshipped in times past and human sacrifices were made. And in first century Jerusalem, it was a trash dump where, where the trash was set on fire. And so there was sort of this perpetual fire and smoke coming up from the Hinnom Valley. And that's where the, the word for Gehenna came from, or the word for, for hell in this passage. And so we see that if our sins are not covered by the blood of Jesus, one day we will answer for our sinful hearts, yes, our angry hearts, in the very fires of hell. Today, that's pretty, 
That's pretty heavy. It's pretty heavy to think about. But we don't have to go there. It's possible to have our sins dealt with at the foot of the cross. How do we do that? We call out to God and we say to God, I know I've gone my own way. I know I've rebelled against you and I believe you sent Jesus to come and die on the cross, that he died, was buried, and that he was raised again. And God, I believe he took my place on the cross, that my sin, the penalty, the punishment for my angry heart, my sinful heart, you put it on your own son. And he took the wrath that I deserve. Why, why do we deserve wrath? Why? Because God is completely clean and pure. And when we walk in sin, we mock his purity. When we walk in sin, we separate ourselves from him. And you see, because of his holiness, he can't just wink and allow sin into heaven. To do so would be to compromise his very nature. So what did he do? He made a way for those of us who are sinners, and that's all of us, to be in relationship with him, to go to heaven. How? By letting his own son take the punishment for our sin upon himself. So today, your sin, sir, your sin, ma'am, will be dealt with there at the foot of the cross or it will be dealt with in eternity separated from God. I plead with you to believe in him, to turn from your sin and to call out to him in faith and he'll save you. And even when you drop the ball, like, like I do, like I did in the story that I shared with you a moment ago, even when you drop the ball, he forgives Now, he doesn't leave you there. If you're a Christian, you're not happy in your sin. Your sin ultimately kind of makes you sick. You look at yourself and go, that's not who God wants me to. I don't want that in my life. But the good news is God cleanses and forgives. He washes our hearts clean. What wonderful news for sinners. What good news for me and for you. Now, let's think about how this issue of anger and a murderous heart fleshes out in our own lives. And what does it mean for us today? Well, first, our angry attitudes and words often reveal a heart that is filled with murderous intent. As we said a moment ago, a heart that's filled with murderous intent. In fact, in Matthew 15, 19, Jesus said, for out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. So sinful anger, sinful anger is not so much about what is done to me, It's really about a heart problem that I have. It's about what's going on right here. Now, we always want to make it about the other people. It was the lady in the car that wouldn't let us over, right? It was her fault that I did that. No, it was because my heart was sinful. It was because I wanted to be king instead of bowing down and letting Jesus be king. It was because I wanted to be first instead of being a servant, which is what Christ has called me to be. So, it is clear Our sinful anger indicates that something is wrong right here. Something's wrong here, not out here. Not I'm going to blame everybody else. Well, so-and-so shouldn't have done this, and if they hadn't, maybe all those things are true. But God's concerned about what's happening here. How do I respond to those situations? You see, somebody may do something terrible, something terribly sinful to you or against you. And it's wrong, and from God's perspective, it's wrong. It still does not give us a right to have sinful anger. And when we have sinful anger, we must take it to God and we must ask him to change our hearts and to help us to have a heart that reflects his love and forgiveness, the kind of love and forgiveness that he's shown us we have to extend to others. We we have to if we belong to him. So we need a heart change to overcome anger. 
We become sinfully angry when we demand our own way. We demand our rights, what we want, what's best for us. And when we don't get it, we're mad. Now, anger can be played out in different ways. It can be played out with somebody who's a hothead and loses their cool all the time. It can be played out in a more passive way where somebody has a really cold attitude or a conniving kind of a response, sort of a passive anger towards you. It can, it can flesh itself out in bitterness. Something happened years ago and you've allowed that anger to take root in your heart and you've allowed it to grow and turn into this big plant of bitterness. And, and it... And it takes your soul it 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 sucks the life out of you because because you just focus on that they did you wrong and perhaps they did but God doesn't want you to live there God doesn't want you to live in that anger that hasn't been dealt with anger can take the form of cruel words when we say hateful and mean things it can take the form of insult and slander it can even take the form of physical harm as we've seen so tragically this week The reality is when anger is in our hearts and when sinful anger is in our hearts, it's time to get before the Lord and to ask him to break our hearts over our own sin. It's time to to get down on our knees and say to God, I don't want to be sinfully angry like this, God. I want to have a heart that reflects your love your forgiveness, the kind of love you've shown me, the kind of forgiveness you've shown me, that's the kind of love and forgiveness I want to extend to other people. So God, change my wicked, angry heart. We've got to call out to him and seek him in that way. As we think about what this means in our lives today, second, no matter how close to God you claim to be, your attitudes toward other people tell the true story. You see, we can, we can claim to be close to God. And, and like that day that, that, that I was in San Antonio, I could claim to be close to God. But the reality is, I wasn't walking in the Spirit. It's clear. I wouldn't have behaved that way if I had been walking in the Spirit. And so while we can claim one thing, the reality of our words and attitudes and actions are going to reveal the truth. They're going to tell the true story. James 1, 19 and 20 says, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. So those of us who know Jesus, we need to be slow to be, to be angered. Because we recognize that in our anger, it may well be that we don't act righteously. We don't act in a way that pleases God. So when anger comes, we need to, we need to pull away and get right with God and pray and, 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 seek, uh, and seek his help before we go into a tirade and before we respond. We need to be very careful because our hearts and our attitudes tell the true story no matter how close we claim to be to God. Now in, in our nation with the racial tension that exists, did you know the church has the real answer to racism? The real answer to racism, because racism is sinful, it's the gospel. We have the answer that that can bring healing and hope in the midst of a culture that that is crumbling and struggling. We have have the gospel. Now, why do I say this? In Ephesians 2, verse 12, Paul writes, Remember that you Gentiles were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise 
having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, who, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and broken down in the flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God and one body through the cross thereby killing the hostility and he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near for through him we both have access to one spirit to the father so then you are no longer strangers and aliens but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God So what's Paul saying? He's saying you Gentiles were once not a part of God's people. You were not a part of of Israel. But God, through Jesus, made a way for you to become a part of God's people. He, He took that dividing wall between the Jews and the Gentiles and he destroyed it by the blood of Christ. And today, what's the hope for racial reconciliation? It's the recognition that before God, there's really only two kinds of people. Those who know Jesus and those who don't. And all other kinds of divisions are are man-made divisions. So, So in Christ, the color of our skin doesn't matter. One's not better than the other. That's ridiculous from a biblical perspective. So in Christ, if one person has more and another person has less, it doesn't matter. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. We're one in Him. You see that the thinking that somehow we're a notch better than other folk who are different than us is thinking from the pit of hell. It's not thinking informed by this book. This book's thinking reminds us that the ground at the foot of the cross is indeed level, that every one of us is a sinner in desperate need of the grace of God. That's what this book teaches. We have hope, and our nation can have hope. Believers need to share the gospel. They need to share the gospel. As we think about what this means in our lives, third, an angry, unforgiving heart may reveal that you do not have a genuine relationship with God. As I said earlier, Mark eleven twenty five 25 says, and whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone so that your father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. So if you have an angry heart or an unforgiving heart and your, your life is marked by anger and unforgiveness, that's the tenor of your life. Not that you drop the ball sometimes like all of us do, but that's the tenor of your life. It may well be that you don't have a relationship with Jesus. Fourth, when you're at odds with someone, this passage reminds us, act quickly to make things right. Act quickly. Jesus says when you're you're going to worship, stop. Go get it taken care of. Then come back and worship. What does that mean? Some of you here today for years now have had unresolved conflict in your lives. You've done something to someone or there's been some sort of a hurt and you've never dealt with it and maybe you've seethed on it for years. Today, I believe God is saying to you, make that right. Get it cleaned up. Go and be reconciled to your brother or to your sister. Go on your way to to the court, if you will, and, and work things out with your accuser. Now we know that Satan uses anger that isn't resolved. In Ephesians 4, 26 and 27, the Apostle Paul writes, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. What does this tell us? That when we have anger, 
We need to take it to God and be careful that we don't begin to act sinfully and begin to have thoughts that are murderous or begin to use words that are sinful or begin to do actions that are wrong. We need to, we need to take our sin to God. And we need to make sure that when we do have anger, that we've dealt with it before the sun goes down. What does that mean, that we've dealt with it promptly, that we're not just allowing it to sit? And he says, if you do allow it to sit, often you give the devil a foothold, a way to begin to work in your lives. Now, I've seen this played out in, in marriages in a terrible way. A husband and a wife have conflict and they do not work through the issue and instead just sort of set it to the side and bitterness begins to grow and before long, Satan is right in the middle of that relationship. Why? Because it should have been dealt with here and it was nearly too late to deal with it here. Because we let the sun go down on our anger. So I plead with you, if you need to make things right with someone, do it. Do it soon. Now, perhaps you're in a situation where where making things right with someone could be very delicate. It could involve really, really difficult issues. In that situation, I want to encourage you to seek some wise counsel before you begin to try to work through a really complicated, delicate, and challenging issue. But I do want to urge each one of us to strive to make things right with other people. So, husband... Your home is not the place where you can rule and you can treat your wife with anger and with bitterness. You can't do that. Your home, ma'am, is not the place where you can treat your husband or your kids with anger. Your home is not the place, dad, that you can treat your kids in anger. And when you do, you got to go to your kids. Or when you do, you got to go to your wife and say, sweetheart, I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't act like I'm the king of the world. I shouldn't treat you that way. I'm sorry for my sinful anger. As a dad, there are times that I have to say that to my kids. I have to say, Daddy shouldn't have said it that way. I, I shouldn't have done that. We, we've got to do that. There's no place where our sinful anger is okay. Often we treat those that we're closest to the worst. That is sinful. It's wrong, and if we're not careful, it will create seeds that grow to fruition that we don't want. Let's suppose, Mom, Dad, you treat your kids with anger, and that plants a seed of bitterness in the heart of that child, what does that seed of bitterness grow into as they get older? It is much better for us just to admit, like our kids, that we're sinners in need of God's grace. That we too drop the ball and need Jesus' help, just like they do. We're all, we're all in the same situation. So we admit our sin and we make it right. We don't let the sun go down. We deal with our sin promptly. Bosses, the way you treat employees, coworkers, how you treat each other, perhaps how you treat a neighbor that you have difficulty with. These are all situations in which we need to be very careful about our anger. Romans 12, 18 says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Now, we know that sometimes it's not possible to work things out with people, but to the degree that we can, we need to try to make relationships right. We need to try to reconcile with others. I want you to imagine for a moment that you're holding a bomb, a very, this is sort of redundant, but a very lethal bomb that just, just the wrong movement perhaps could make this thing explode. I want you to understand our anger is a lot like that bomb. If we're not careful, we'll blow that thing up and there'll be carnage all around us. The people that we love will be wounded and hurt and destroyed. And the truth is, it may well destroy us. 
because Jesus' words have made clear that an angry heart that hasn't been forgiven by the blood of Jesus has eternal consequence. So it's like a bomb. You've got to be so careful with it. So be careful. Your out-of-control anger may be an indicator that the Prince of Peace does not reign in your heart. These are life and death issues, so I plead with you, make things right with people if you're a Christian here today. If things are not right, make things right and do it promptly. And if you're not a believer, today I plead with you, be reconciled to God. Let your sin be dealt with at the cross. Join me in prayer.